What happens when Christ doesn't show up the way that you expected? If you grew up in a tradition that was anything like mine, the idea of Jesus returning or Jesus coming was always at the forefront of the conversation. I was always asked if I was ready for Jesus to return, meaning did I have any secret sin in my life that would cause me to be left behind? The coming of Jesus was something that was both feared and anticipated. I remember watching this movie as a kid about the rapture, and I'll talk more about that word a little bit later. And in the movie, it came to this critical point with Satan decapitating people in a virtual reality simulation if they refused to worship him. That was the critical moment of the movie. And I was allowed to watch movies about Satan decapitating people, but Nightmare on Elm Street was a no-no because it was demonic. The expectation was that Jesus was going to show up at any moment, and, the, and only those who were ready would be taken to heaven with him. And everyone else, everything else, would be left behind to eventual destruction. Obviously, if you were a pet owner, this way of seeing Jesus was anxiety-inducing. Right? I remember as a kid, asking the question, uh, like, what would happen to animals? What would happen to pets, right? So, like, what would happen to your precious fur baby? Do all dogs get to go to heaven? Uh, what about cats and goldfish, right? I had a million questions growing up and even more anxiety about it. In this past conversation series, Jesus Christ, we have looked at different images of Jesus presented in the Bible. We looked at the cosmological Christ, the cruciform Christ, the high priestly Christ, the better story Christ so far. And tonight, we're going to wrap up by looking at two more images of Christ, the coming Christ and the delayed Christ. The different images of Christ are like lenses that help us to see God. Colossians 1.15 tells us this, the Son, or Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus Christ, it helps us to see God. It's like going to the eye doctor. You sit down in front of that contraption that looks like something from a steampunk movie. And the optometrist begins to flip lenses in place. Right? Is this clearer? Or is this clearer? Next lens. Is this clearer? Is this clearer? So on and so on until every letter on the smallest line of the reading chart is now made visible. Each one of those lenses clicked into place to help you see clear. It's like an image of Christ that we explored in this series. And they're there to help you see God more clearly. But what happens when your glasses arrive, you put them on, and the thing and things are not clearer? In fact, they are distorted. You cannot make out reality clearly without taking the glasses off. This happened to me once. The eye doctor had written down my prescription wrong, and so the glasses, instead of helping me see better, gave me a warped perspective of the world around me. I think there are a lot of people walking around with bad prescriptions that have caused them to have a warped perspective of God and the world around them. Some persist, believing that maybe their eyes need to adjust to the prescription, and others take the glasses off, believing that God just isn't for them if this is what the world looks like through these misshapen lenses. Each image of Christ 
that we have looked at in this series has the potential to help you see clearer. But if you are anything like me, you have also experienced these different images in their warped prescription counterparts. Either firsthand or through encountering someone else who is persisting on wearing the wrong prescription. Now, this is not to say that all of a sudden I'm coming along with the correct prescription. That isn't my end goal in this talk. I want us to be aware of the lenses that we are looking through so that we can begin to judge whether or not they are actually helping us to see clearer. So as I said before, we're going to look at two more lenses together, the coming and the delayed Christ. Both are found in numerous places in the Bible, but both come together in the first century community in the city of Thessalonica. One of the earliest followers of Jesus a man named Paul, had traveled all over establishing communities of people who followed Jesus. One of those communities was in a city called Thessalonica. Paul was no longer with this particular group of Christ followers, but was communicating with them via letters. And we have two of those letters in the New Testament, First and Second Thessalonians. In these letters, Paul is trying to help reshape the lenses of this community because they have certain expectations of Jesus that were going unmet and causing them problems with seeing God clearly. They believed, like the congregations I grew up in, that Jesus was coming back at any moment. They believed this so much that some of the people had quit their jobs in order to wait in anticipation of Jesus coming. But they had a problem. This hyper-anticipation was counter to what they had been taught about Jesus. They were taught to wait and stay busy, loving and caring and tending to the business of the community. They were taught to wait by making sure that the community was thriving and flourishing together. They were so busy talking about waiting for Jesus to come that they forgot to do the things that Jesus had called them to do while waiting. Paul goes on to address in this letter the fact that people in the community had died while waiting on the coming Christ, and they were disillusioned because this was not what they expected. Christ had not come. Christ was delayed. The whole theology that led to my childhood, as I talked about earlier, is constructed from a verse found in this section of the letter to the Thessalonians. The word rapture that I mentioned before comes from the King James translation of the Bible. It is an untranslated Latin word or a transliteration that means to be caught up. Think like I was enraptured in the conversation tonight. But in the tradition I grew up in, this untranslated Latin word had very had a very different meaning and a whole lot of theological baggage that was tied to it. The word rapture was shorthand for a very specific idea of what it meant for Jesus to come, similar to the movie that I mentioned. Those who were ready would be taken away and those who were not would be left behind. There's a big, big problem with using the word rapture to mean any of that. One, that is not what this passage is talking about at all. And two, that is not an idea that we find in the biblical story. We have to remember that this letter is written to a first century city in the Roman Empire 
in this day and age, when a king or an other important person would arrive at a place, everyone would go out to greet them and usher them into the city in celebration. We see this when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone greets him saying Hosanna and waving palm branches in the air. This is a custom of celebration. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. When the whole earth is your kingdom, where do you go to usher in the king? The clouds. This is a picture of celebration. The coming of Christ evokes celebration, not fear. Paul in this letter then goes on to talk about the day of the Lord, which we don't have time to unpack in, in its fullness. But in short, it is a phrase borrowed from the prophets of the Old Testament that talks about the expected day when everything in the world will be put to rights and justice will have its way and evil will no longer exist. When will this happen? Nobody knows is the answer that Paul gives. But that doesn't mean that we sit idly by and just wait like the Thessalonians. The delayed coming of Christ does not mean that Christ has not come. In fact, Christ is constantly, consistently, and continually coming. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It is only in the delay of Christ that we see Christ coming perpetually. When we love, when we care for, when we work for justice, we are tending to the Christ who has come and will come. When Paul tells the Thessalonians to love and care for others, he is telling them to tend to the Christ who has come instead of just waiting for the Christ who will come. If we forget one of the images of Christ, it will throw off our prescription and our lenses will not perceive clearly God or God's good creation. So what happens when Christ doesn't show up the way that you expected. We adjust our lenses so that we can see God more clearly.